Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode 30-30 of Upon Further Review. I'm Kevin Sherrington. You know, there's something very wrong about this. We're opening up a podcast. We have Brad Cham on the podcast, and he's not opening it up. That's, that's, that's wrong. It is. I, I think we should let Brad Brad welcome everybody in. Brad, can you do it? Yeah, yeah, I can do it better than that. <laughs> For sure. Holy cow, you sound like you're going to the dentist. <laughs> Goodness gracious, you got to give these people a, a sense that there is a, a reason for excitement for them. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 30 of what the hell's the name of this thing? Upon Further Review. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 30 of Upon Further Review, hosted by Kevin Sherrington and Barry Horn. Today we're missing the award-winning Evan Grant, but we'll do our best to fill in. I'm Brad Sham. <laughs> wow. Now, that's a professional right there. Okay, now ask him a professional question about the Dallas Cowboys, Kevin. All right, I want to say this first. We want to thank Brad for coming on. In in my estimation, I have long maintained this, not just because I love Brad Sham, but because he is the greatest football play-by-play man in the business. Well, you're very kind. I appreciate that. And any opportunity to be, I was going to save this for when Evan was here, too, the greatest, to steal a line from John F. Kennedy, the greatest assemblage of talent, Put together in one room since Thomas Jefferson dined alone. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm just going to monitor this because I know when we have Vern Lundquist on, Kevin is going to say the same, yeah, exact he's same thing. Say the same thing. He'll, say, he'll, he'll say the he'll say the same thing to John Morris at Baylor. Come on, <laughs> I, you know, I, I do love John Morris. Yeah, too, I do too. You know? Who doesn't love John? He's a great guy. Right. All right. Now listen. Uh, so he, here the Cowboys are, two and one. Uh, let, let's say before the season had started. Uh, and they had not lost Tony Romo. Uh, if you would have said after three games the Cowboys were two and one, how would you feel about everything? Oh, I would not have taken that. Uh, if, if, if do I have do I have uh, Bryant also? Uh, I mean, do I have do I have all my hurt guys? Forget, all of them? Forget about Hardy and McLean. Do I have my hurt guys? Uh, no, we're just going to say Romo. Just Romo? Yeah. Um, no, I'm still. Uh, I, I think I'm still going to. Um, take my chances and say I, I would like to be better than two and one. See, I thought they were going to lose to the Eagles. Uh, well, I, it was always possible. Uh, but um, but this team, when it's got its pieces, Kevin, is good enough to play with everybody. They're going to lose. So they're going to, I, I, I don't want to really depress all the Cowboy fans who are listening, but they're going to lose again. I don't mean this week necessarily, but they're, they're probably going to lose more than once before the end of the season. But, and that that would have been the case if Romo had been the quarterback. But I, I, they're they're not in a bad spot. But they do have to play better. What do you, what do you, Brad? What do you think the Romo injury costs the Cowboys in terms of wins and losses? Let's say he's out eight weeks. Uh, well, very honestly, I, hold on. Let me look at this uh, schedule. You know, a little bit of the answer to that depends on what they do in the interim. Because if they get some wins, there. Look, if if Whedon. Uh, helps win a guy. I don't think he was the reason they lost to Atlanta. No, I don't think so either. But, but he but, didn't help win the game either. But he didn't help win the game. But you so, weren't expecting him to do that. You were expecting him to be the bus driver. Uh, yeah, yeah. And he you pretty know, much drove the bus, right? Yeah, he, he, did, he did okay. Could he, you know, everybody's jumping up and down about uh, what could have happened, what everybody knows, including, I'm sorry to say, some people in our business. Uh, what you should ha- he should have thrown here then he should have well i'm as we're uh, having this conversation i'm i'm spending my morning watching the tape of 
their first half, and I can tell you that the guy everybody thinks was brilliant, uh, Joseph Randall, was not brilliant. He was good. And to coin a phrase, he left a little meat on the bone. And there, were, there, was a, there was a third and one where I don't know where the heck he was running, but it wasn't anywhere where there was an available first down, and they didn't keep the ball. So there, this was, there was a lot of people chipping in on this. But to try to answer Barry's question, if, they, if, if Whedon wins them a couple of games, I think they're going to have a tough time with New England. But in order to have a chance to beat New England, you know, it's interesting, the last time they played New England up there, Rob Ryan's first year as a defensive coordinator here, they almost won that game. Right. But they're going to have to run the ball uh, and keep the ball away from, from Brady. And so if Whedon has some success, if he contributes to beating the Giants again, I don't know what Seattle's going to be by November 1st, but um, if Whedon contributes to winning some, then they can maybe get a little confidence as a unit, steady the ship, and, and then the prediction becomes one thing. If, if, if the brain trust, on the other hand, becomes convinced that Matt Castle is further along and gives them a better chance than Whedon sometime in the next two or three weeks, then the prediction becomes you know, something different. So your question is how many can they win until Romo gets back against uh, Miami, if in fact that's when it is, and, and you know, right now as I look at it, I would say I see uh, I see two, maybe three that would be hard to win anyway, um, and but they might win a couple of those. But the question is, how many of the other ones will they win? That was that was my question, Brad. You, you, you of course, you you jump you out jump me on this. What guarantee do you think there is that Whedon will be the quarterback? For all starting quarterbacks. Oh, there's none. Okay. Oh, there's zero guarantee. I mean, they've got to win. I think Matt Castle was the guy they signed or acquired for two reasons. One is if your first guy gets hurt, your second guy can get hurt. And there are a lot of teams. Do you know who Atlanta's backup quarterback is? Do not. If anything happens to Matt Ryan, they're playing with a guy named Sean Renfrey who has never taken an NFL snap, and he's from a smaller school. He's their backup quarterback. Teams are playing with fire uh, with backup quarterbacks. So in Whedon, they've got a guy who has some experience. He can move the team down the field. He can keep you in a game. What if he gets hurt? So that's part of the reason you get Castle. The other part of the reason you get Castle is – you know, you're, gonna, you're presuming, if you're management, you're going to get Bryant back at some point. You're going to get Romo back. You're going to have uh, help on the way in two defensive guys who are coming back after this week. You've got to win enough games to give those guys an opportunity to still get you into the postseason. And you think that Whedon can do it, but no one's ever seen him do it. So the other reason I think that you get Matt Castle is not only is he insurance against Whedon getting hurt, he's a viable alternative if you feel like you need to make a change. And if you don't need to make a change, then you've still got a better backup quarterback than I would say 80% of the teams in the league. In my estimation, all this is much 
overblown about Brandon Whedon's performance in this game. Uh, I, I think he probably played as well as you could expect him to play. Did you really think he was going to be asked to put up more than 38 points? Uh, no, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. He, he's, not, he's not the reason they lost. And there is a difference. If he was better than Romo, if he was the kind of a guy who could go from not being the difference you lose to being the difference you win, then he, he would be playing. He, I think you're 100% right, as I usually do. Uh, he's, oh. he, I thought he did exactly what he needed to do. Could he have done some things better? Absolutely. But uh, I haven't gotten around to watching the second half of the game yet, but I'll tell you this, when you come out and get a stop, here's another thing that people are making too much about, Tim Kalashaw. Uh, the, the timeout at the end of the half, yeah, okay, under some circumstances, you'd like to not call it. That doesn't mean you have to let them go march down the field in 40 seconds to kick the field goal. But that's not where the momentum changed. Because Atlanta had the ball first to start the third quarter. Nick Hayden blocks two passes on consecutive plays, and they make them punt. And Dallas gets the ball at the 49-yard line. Now that is how you start a half, and that's how you get momentum. They go penalty, negative run, penalty, Third and twenty six can convert, and right there is where the game turned, in my opinion. It, it when you watch that uh, game, and, and I'll have to say this: I was in Houston at a little Astros Rangers series down there. And I, so, I read about it. Yeah, uh, didn't, probably in your column. It may, could have been. And uh, at any rate, what do you feel like happened to the defense in this game? And now, uh, and we know that obviously they're missing. People are going down left and right. Yeah, uh, there's two, Kevin. There's two answers to that question, and. And, and they're not contradictory, they're complementary. Number one is, at halftime, I turned to about four people in our booth and I said it's going to take 45 points to win this game. The, we are now playing arena football. That's what the NFL wants. NFL games are NBA games because a 20-point lead doesn't mean anything, and the most important thing is the fourth quarter. And it's whoever has the ball last. Time on the clock almost doesn't mean anything anymore. The way they've set up the rules and the way offenses are designed, the notion that Julio Jones was going to be kept in check like he was in the first half for the entire game uh, was far-fetched. So it stood to reason to me that there was more coming. They were going to figure something out. Here's the other, po- the other piece that complements that, I think. Babe Laufenberg says every week, if you want me to tell you who's going to win, you have to tell me who's going to play. It's not an excuse. It's a reason. They missed Romo. They missed Bryant. They really missed Jeremy Mincy. And they really missed Terrell McClain, of all people, who nobody knew was on the team. But the first two weeks, he was playing great. He might have had the best grades in the defensive line in week two in Philadelphia. And his season ended with a turf toe like the one Sean Lee had a couple of years ago on the second of the last play of the stinking game. So now you have Jack Crawford and Ryan Russell in the defensive end rotation and Davon Coleman, who they cut yesterday, uh, working behind Tyrone Crawford at the nose tackle and the under tackle. Uh, So those players aren't as good. They're not good enough. It matters who plays. And to me, those were the biggest reasons that Atlanta was able to 
do things in the second half. But it still, for me, comes down to the running game. The most significant statistic, in my opinion, in the game was the number of plays. I hate to sound like Chip Kelly, but Atlanta ran, um, I want to say 50-something plays, 69 plays, something like that. Dallas ran 49. Now, their formula for success last year and their formula for success the first two weeks was to flip those numbers. When their running game's good and that defense is on the field a limited number of snaps, they're good enough to win. When you take Mincy and McLean and you still don't have Gregory and you take all those guys out, they're not good enough to win if they're playing 20 more snaps than the other team. That's why they lost. And, and see, I think that's the, the deal here is that we got used to Rob Marinelli going down to the bus stop and, and finding some people and say, do you want to play some football? And, and then they say, sure. And then he brings them back to, to Valley Ranch and, and then he turns them into football players and he makes something work. And I think that when you, and I think it's a perfect example of what you talked about with Terrell McClain. I don't know if there's, there's been a case where a starting defensive lineman for the Dallas Cowboys was lost for the season and it was just pretty much just dismissed by everybody. It was just kind well, of like, he wasn't hmm. even a starter. That's the, that's, that, that's the killer thing. I mean, Hayden starts at one tackle. Well, that's right, in the rotation. And, and, and Crawford starts at the other tackle, but they rotate a lot. And, the, and the guy, that guy played both tackles. So he played a significant number of snaps in a game. And the other thing is that those guys that Marinelli's getting, it's only good if they're getting turnovers. They've got to get pressure and they've got to get turnovers. It's harder than it's ever been in the NFL to get pressure because the ball's out in a hurry. And the quarterback is not under center. And there's five wide receivers. And it's just hard to do. So you really got to be able to cover as well, but when you don't get any turnovers, then that defense gets lit up from time to time, and that was the case last year too. It's it's only game three. You know, there's no need to be looking for ledges to jump off, but they have to play better, and they know exactly what they have to do to play better. The the there's a prevailing thought out here. There's a thought out here that the Falcons made better halftime adjustments. Do you buy that? Uh, I think the Falcons did a really good coaching job. I think the notion of halftime adjustments is vastly overrated. In the first place, they got 12 minutes. By the time you get, that's from the time the the clock hits triple zeros. Trust me, by the time everybody goes in and goes to the bathroom and gets uh, sitting down and listen to, they got about five minutes for coaches to make these vaunted adjustments and communicate them to the players. The adjustments go on all the time. The adjustments go on during the game. Do teams do some things differently at halftime? Sure. You've got five minutes where there's no action. But those things have to happen during the game. I thought that what they did was a better job of executing their plan. And they had some – when you go back and look at some of the plays they ran – and the ways they found to get Julio Jones the ball, places they put in, they lined him up at tailback one time, another time they put him in a left slot and dragged him right. across the formation, and he beat everybody to the outside and had a big game because Ryan rolled left and turned around and threw back right. That's good coaching. They get paid too. 
they didn't have the ball that much in the first half because the Cowboys were running the ball and dominating it. I don't think it was so much, Barry, that they made brilliant halftime adjustments as that they coached well to begin with and they had more of an opportunity to execute their plan. Let me let me ask you this. Uh, I, I, there's there's one player on, on the on the field that always I, I can't stop watching, and that's Sean Lee. You've been around this team for a couple of months, a couple of years, a couple of decades, mm-hmm. a couple of centuries. Couple. Um, wh- wh- where does he fit in among the defensive pl- when healthy of uh, the players you've seen on if, this team? If he would, if he would ever be able to be healthy, uh, I said two years ago that he was going to it was going to be him and Leroy Jordan and Cowboy middle linebacker lore. The guy he's he is a complete throwback. And if he can stay on the field, he'll be as good a linebacker as they've ever had because he has that same kind of intensity that guys like Jordan and Dave Edwards and those Howley those guys had. Uh, but he's got insane focus and the god-given ability to get to the ball he's very fast a great tackler and i sometimes i wish i could not watch the ball and just watch him because he'll get you to the ball real fast he's he's one of the best linebackers they've ever had but he's got to stay on the field and he knows it Uh, he's got to stay on the field to join that that company Thanks for putting that in perspective. Kevin and I aren't old enough to have remembered Leroy Jordan. Yeah, that's okay. I'm happy to help. Uh, that, that's the thing about Sean Lee that gets me, Brad, is, is that you're right. There's been some great you know, Cowboys linebackers and, and guys here who were big hitters and, and around the uh, and were in the places they needed to be. The thing that to me that sets Sean Lee apart is just the way he comes up with the ball. I mean, the fumble recoveries, the interceptions. Right. It's, it's almost yeah. a little spooky to watch him do that, uh, you know, and, and why Sam Bradford tried to fit that ball in in the end zone the other day, and that because and there's Sean Lee. If I look back there and Sean Lee was covering a guy, I wouldn't. Yeah, I'd throw it somewhere else. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Listen, uh, uh, Brad, I, I think that you have uh, you hit your limit with us. Wait, wait, I, wait before you, before you let him go, we're going to have Brad take us out, not you, because we've seen how, how you do on the intro. But I want to ask, let's look ahead to the Saints game. Uh, what do you think? Well, I haven't looked at the Saints yet, and. Um Obviously, they're not what they were a few years ago. And I'll tell you, uh, last year I thought they had zero chance to win going into New Orleans. And they won. And uh, they won because they played the way they played in the first half Sunday. Obviously, uh, if Drew Brees plays, it matters. On the other hand, McCown did a really nice job in his place. Doesn't seem to be the reason they lost. Uh, But to me, it's a winnable game. Not an easy game by any stretch. Um, but they'll have Mincy back. Uh, they may have Leary back. And I believe it's a winnable game if they do what they're supposed to do. And then I think if you said, you know, when you asked at the beginning, would you take two and one, I think under all of these circumstances, if they can come out of there three and one, that, that's something you'd have to say, yeah, that's okay. Okay. Uh, the name of the podcast is Upon, Upon Further, Further Review. Review. Take us out, Brad. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. Along with Barry Horn and Kevin Sherrington, I'm Brad Sham. This has been Upon Further Review.